Thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxby. Welcome to the News Quiz. We start with an item in the Argos catalogue read by Peter Donaldson. Fisher-Price Fun-to-Learn Potty 29.99, suitable for all ages. <laughs> and our thanks to Lucy Vallejo of South London for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Fred McCauley and Jack D. <laughs> and opposite them on my left, Mark Steele and Carrie Quinlan. Fred, who would have gone nuclear had they been left in the nasty draft? I think this relates to a Foreign Office document mm-hmm. with doodles in the margin. That'll be the one. Right. I don't know who the chap was. Do you not uh, think doodles in the margin sounds like a little town in Sussex? <laughs> oh, we're very near Budley Salterton in uh, doodles in the margin. How close were you to saying Ayrshire? I know. <laughs> Save myself with the nick of time. Sorry. Yeah, but the key word was Israel, mm. because on the document it said that no one had flouted UN authority like Saddam and Iraq, and said person had written Israel. <laughs> and then it said no one had invaded their neighbours like Iraq and the United States. <laughs> uh, no one uses chemical weapons. Japan. <laughs> but uh, the key word was Israel. They, they wanted to obliterate Israel so that nobody knew that he'd written that because that would have caused strains in our relationship with them. Uh, yep. And we're quite happy to have strains in our relationship with the United States and Germany. And anything else he wrote in the margin, like a bunch of grapes, hangman, <laughs> pair of breasts, <laughs> sorry, eyes, it's eyes, <laughs> it's a face. Apparently it was a secret that... Oh, have I just given that away? Ah. My no. apology. I'm well, sorry, uh, Sandy, no. I don't know the answer to well, this uh, one. <laughs> Apparently only the five members of the Security Council are supposed to have nuclear weapons. I mean, for example, nobody knows about Denmark's secret nuclear capability. <laughs> uh, yes, documents released under the Freedom of Information Act show that a mention of Israel's nuclear capability was removed from the rather fine Iraq dossier in case it caused a diplomatic row. Israel has never publicly admitted to its nuclear arsenal. The nearest it came was when the Israeli delegation got the giggles during non-proliferation talks in 1989. (laughs) Jack, which rock has come home to roost? Well, obviously, this is the northern rock, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, I think it's time we started taking it seriously again because I've actually got a big advertising deal. I'm the new face of northern rock. It's now going to be nationalised, which is marvellous. It's time, really, just wipe the slate clean, let's rename it. Let's call it British Leyland and think, you know, (laughs) the whole thing. It's time to look forward. I also noticed it was Gordon Brown's birthday, which was rather nice. I was at the party, it was quite good. It wasn't bad. The stripper game, I think, wasn't a very good idea. (laughs) But it was nice to see Cherie. But uh, it's all to do with that and Alistair Darling, who's doing incredibly well mm. as Chancellor. Um, he really is good, isn't he? I, you know, I don't think Gordon Brown hates him. I reckon Paul McCartney is looking at Heather Mills across the court and thinking, well, it could have been worse. could have been Alistair <laughs> Darling. 
I looked at the Northern Rock website this week, and on their... Um, you said, woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's the time to open an account. But on their loans page, it starts off with, do you need loads of money? <laughs> and I was expecting... It, it literally does, and I was expecting the next line to be, because we do. <laughs> The panic about it was, you know, last year when people panicked, and it's just so brilliantly about the English, the British, we are stoic and we will stand up to a catastrophe because we are British like Dunkirk, and it's so untrue now. It's just started off with a rumour, oh, there might be something gone wrong with the money in Canada. Ah! I want all the money and the pens and everything, and it's just so English. What we we have failed to mention, of course, is that Northern Rock are the sponsors of Newcastle United, so we've now got a government-sponsored football team. (laughs) It is a bit like a Christmas wish list, isn't it, for Gordon Brown? I want a bank and I want a football team. (laughs) If if the next thing is a cowboy hat and a pair of chaps (laughs) and a saddle... Thought it through because the one bit that they didn't get is the section called granite, is the bit that's actually making money. I mean, it is like he decided to buy a car and somebody said, Oh, sorry, it doesn't come with wheels. Um, because the, the bit that's What's actually granite, make, it's, a, it's an offshore company in, uh, in one of the Channel Islands, and that's the bit of Northern Rock that's actually making money, and that's the bit that's not going to be owned so by who, the government. Who's, who's keeping that? You used to be an accountant. How come you don't know these I things? Mean, well, I don't know everything about every company, but I didn't know that there was an offshore offshoot of Northern Rock called granite. Well, I'm not an accountant anymore, then. (laughs) (laughs) Rubbish. (laughs) What's pleasing about it is that we've been able to constantly blame it all on the Americans for the subprime mortgage racket. Fred, you won't understand this bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you should maybe just explain it to me then, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well... What, what happened in America is that they, the banks got greedy and started lending money to people... Yeah, no, you they... didn't mean it, Jack. You didn't mean it. <laughs> in a shock outcome, Northern Rock's strategy of lending money to people who can't afford to pay it back has surprisingly backfired. Five months after the collapse of Northern Rock, the government has announced it will temporarily nationalise the bank. Existing banks and building societies want assurances that the government-run Northern Rock will not be too competitive. <laughs> it's being run by the government. Of course it's not going to be competitive. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, two points to Jack. Mark, who's having a... No, I'm going to do this right again. Mark, who's having a lazy day at long last? Havana. Who's having a... Who's having a... Who's Havana? I didn't get any clues. Oh, this is another Northern Rock's uh, question. Uh, uh, no, this would be your man, uh, Fidel. Fidel. Who's uh, uh, retiring. He's sort of handed in his resignation letter, which is um, all quite quaint. I wonder if he'll have a leaving do, <laughs> <laughs> like they do in offices, yeah. and uh, give him a little trophy of a pen in the shape of a Russian missile, that sort of thing. Card signed by everybody in an exploding cigar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing that he's so famous for, and this is right from the beginning, because I've, I've done a programme about Che Guevara, there's a brilliant account that Che Guevara writes when he first met Fidel, and Che's girlfriend at the time asked Fidel a question about economics, this was the first time they'd met, and Fidel answered with a reply that went on for four hours. <laughs> And that's what he's done ever since. Speeches six, seven, eight. So now he's retired. He's probably turned to his wife and said, Anyway, that's enough about me. Now let's hear about you. 
It was brilliant. Um, my favourite stories as well from the, the Cuban Revolution. There was very few opposition groups before Fidel, but one of them, the, the main leader of what was the official opposition, uh, he didn't do himself any favours really with his movement one week when at the end of his radio show, on the air, he shot himself. Ah. And as soon as I read that, I thought, I wonder if Cuban radio at the time was as unflappable as Radio 4. Because <laughs> then you'd have heard... That was the last in the series. <laughs> but, Mark, if, you know, if you were going to make such a grand gesture, wouldn't you at least wait till you got onto a television programme? <laughs> do you think he'll go now and take up a part-time job in a Wall Street bank? Do you think that'll be... He could do. Maybe he'll retire to Florida. I don't know, but... It... <laughs> There is talk that the US might relax its policy on Cuba, which I can't quite see happening if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, because she's not going to make it easier for Bill to get decent cigars, is she? <laughs> Fidel Castro, who likes to be known as El Comandante. Actually, so do I. Um, <laughs> just a little hint, anybody wants more points. Um, uh, he's retiring on health grounds after 49 years as president of Cuba. Castro has not been seen in public for 19 months, although the government occasionally released footage of him meeting foreign leaders so that Cubans can say, the president is clearly in good health, and doesn't Mr Khrushchev look well? <laughs> uh, at the end of round one, the scores are Mark and Carrie have got four points, but Fred and Jack are just in the lead with five. And we start round two with an advert for Sainsbury's online catering service. Be good to yourself, sandwich platter. No corners have been cut to guarantee the quality of these sandwiches. <laughs> and our thanks to Vicky Smith, who spotted that. Fred, what new charge has left a car manufacturer coughing and spluttering? This is another minority interest story, highlighting the London-centric bias of Radio 4. <laughs> and frankly... Myself and all my Geordie friends couldn't give a toss. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, you see, it's... when you said minority interest, I thought people who owned Porsches, but uh, in fact... <laughs> it's, uh, it's gas guzzlers, isn't it? Not, yeah. not j- Porsche are acting on behalf of all of the people who have got gas guzzlers. But it may be something to do with my past life as an accountant, but I'm always kind of drawn to the statistics in these things. And it's said that 33,000 vehicles a day, and I'm quoting The Guardian here, so I may well be wrong. <laughs> 33,000 of these gas guzzlers a day are going to be hit with a charge not of £8, but of 25 And that's a difference per vehicle of £17. Pounds, mm. Times 33,000, five days a week. You might be thinking 52 weeks a year, but no. If you've got a car like that, you're having at least eight weeks off. (laughs) So it's 44 weeks a year, and just as a quick mental calculation, I think that's about (laughs) 123,420,000 in income for London. Now, that's going to pay for your Olympics, isn't it? (laughs) How do you say it? Is it Porsche? Porsche. 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 Mm. Oh, Peter would know. Jack? Well, mine is a Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time to charge congestion on cyclists. (laughs) Just just to take this smug look off their faces. (laughs) Yeah, 25 quid. Why? For wearing lycra. Go on. (laughs) Looks stupid. And this is a capital city, and we're ashamed of you. 
they said that they're hoping that this CO2 charge will encourage people to either decide to switch to cleaner vehicles or public transport. What do you mean, all public transport? <laughs> Presumably it was cleaner in the first place. Although I think we should have these environmentally friendly things. I mean, I think we should recycle Ken Livingston. I think we should <laughs> fit a wind turbine to Boris Johnson's mouth. I think this is what we should the car manufacturer Porsche or Porsche is to challenge plans to charge heavily polluting vehicles £25 a day to enter London's congestion zone. The £25 charge for London motorists will be introduced in the autumn and is predicted to cause mayhem on the capital's roads. So no change there then. <laughs> uh, so two points to Fred. Mark, for which country is it Kosovar so good? Oh, you're making them really easy for me because I'm uh, usually so bad. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, this will be Kosovo. Yes. It's another new country. I know, we haven't had one Aren't for there ages. enough now? <laughs> well, this is, you know, Kosovans, and it's something to do with Albania and the Balkans. I did know all about it about five years ago, but I've forgotten. Do you know what it's a bit like Russian dolls, isn't it? You know, they had, first there was a big doll like Yugoslavia, and they opened it up, and inside was Serbia, and they've opened it up, and inside's Kosovo, and they opened it up again, and there's going to be some little Serbian Kosovan state, and open up again, there'll be a little family going, we want our own country, we want our own country. <laughs> <laughs> And the last one is a teenager from the family going, I hate you, I don't want to, I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> I want to be in Macedonia. <laughs> I, saw, uh, I saw one rather touching news clip where one politician over there, Kosovo, was saying, we will build the country again. I thought, no, you won't, they're all over here. <laughs> Kosovo's declaration of independence has divided the world. Britain, France and Germany welcome the move, while Russia, Spain and Kosovo's former home, Serbia, not surprisingly, do not. I'm going to watch it very carefully, though, uh, because it'll be interesting to see with Kosovo whether when a small, miserable little country finally gets its independence, it actually does grow up and stop whinging. (laughs) (laughs) I think that'll be quite interesting, won't it, Fred? (laughs) You're just busy making friends around the world, aren't you, Jeff? Oh, we had visitors this week, but I suspect that'll be coming up later on. What was that? Do you want to know? Yeah, what? Ian Paisley was in Scotland in a good mood. Really? Yes, he was. Uh, one of my pals saw him on TV and said he saw him giggling. <laughs> and if you didn't catch that, it sounded like this. Ha, ha, ha! <laughs> what a giggle! <laughs> Has he resigned? He's not resigned. He's carrying on, isn't he? Didn't, didn't his son resign? His son's resigned. Yeah. Do you suppose they talk to each other like that at home? <laughs> Ask the marmalade! <laughs> we, we only eat marmalade because it's the right colour. <laughs> right, uh, two points to, to Mark. Carrie, why aren't farmers bringing home the bacon? Oh, <coughs> this is pig farmers. Mm who are releasing a single. (laughs) I'm not making that up. Pig farmers have an appalling deal from the supermarkets, as all farmers do, but they've decided that the way to to combat the supermarkets is to release a charity single called Stand By Your Ham. (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to sort of fathom that all day. We were talking last week about curry houses being in trouble. Maybe we could have Stand By Your Nan could be the next one. (laughs) series of food-related standbys. Yeah. They, they have changed... coach dealers are losing money. Stand by your gram. We could go on with this for years. Yeah. Oh, we could go on forever with this one. Uh, the lorry drivers, stand by your van. Yeah. <laughs> the nurses, stand by your pan, which is more... <laughs> un- 
can I just say what's upset me about this whole pig thing is that apparently they're blaming the Danes. Now. <laughs> they, had the, they had the temerity, the temerity to say, the British farmers, that the Danish farmers have lower animal welfare standards. What do they think? We're feeding the pigs Lego? What are they saying? <laughs> then you've got oh, your Catholics and Sinn Féin. <laughs> Stand by your jam. in five minutes. Imagine the protest if you were feeding pigs Lego for the animal rights. No more Lego for British pigs. I, I, uh, I had some Danish bacon the other day and a little bit of window came out. And a little window was there in it. That's what they're feeding it. Lego. That's why they get stuck on the ground. <laughs> 633 Squadron. Come on then, Fred. Is it because you come from a different time zone? Well, they, they, they say it's, uh, what, £20 to rear a pig. And that's not the cost, that's the fine. Last time I was up in... <laughs> British pig industry is facing financial meltdown, meaning we might lose Toad in the Hole and Bangers and Mash, but gain a pig-based anthem called Stand By Your Ham. Stuart Houston of the National Pig Association. Oh, Whitney's brother. Yeah. <laughs> the family must be proud. Uh, said the song was tongue-in-cheek, which ironically is also what they put in sausages. So, at the end of that round, Mark and Carrie have got eight points, but Fred and Jack are still in the lead with nine. And before we start round three, here's a travel notice spotted on Teletext. From Wednesday the 13th of February, the main entrance to James Street Station will be closed. Access will be available via the Water Street entrance. Please note, the Water Street entrance is not accessible. (laughs) Now, thanks to Mike Jones of Runcorn for sending that in. Fred, which never-ending task looks like its end is finally forthcoming? This has to be the fourth bridge, which people will be relieved to hear I didn't call the fourth rail bridge, because it's just the fourth bridge. The other bridge over the fourth is the fourth road bridge. Well, thank God you cleared that up. (laughs) And looking at the statistics and the numbers and the years and things like that, uh, the Daily Express says that the paint job is going to be finished in 2012, or, as it said, in six years' time. (laughs) (laughs) Which even I know is rubbish. I think it will be the first time that the bridge has been seen without scaffolding, though, for a long, long time. Which will be great, won't it? Party time for everyone, mm. eh? I must, must come up and see that. Yeah. <laughs> They've been uh, constantly painting this bridge for over 100 years. Yep. They're in their seventh generation of piss-taking decorators, I think. <laughs> and I've been unlucky enough to use the same people to do my bathroom. Uh, the painting of the fourth bridge will finally be finished for a bit in 2012, thanks to a new paint that will last between 25 and 40 years. It's taken them 100 years to work out that longer-lasting paint is the answer. (laughs) 
The team, according to Network Rail's chief executive, said the team currently working on the bridge has now completed some of the most difficult work. They've been to home base and decided on tartan. <laughs> Once that fades, the company has exciting plans to use wallpaper. <laughs> Jack, who has finally hit the spot? Oh, um, mm. this is... Uh, careful now, very, very yes. careful. <laughs> Um, this was a, a story about a doctor who has done an experiment to, f- to find out, uh, <laughs> establish where the G-spot is. And he, just to make sure he was getting it right, he did the experiment uh, about 80 times um, uh, uh, with uh, various different uh, patients. I don't know how you'd put it. Ladies, girlfriends, whatever. Um, and by the way, it's called Dr. Emmanuel, so I just think, uh, you know... This, this guy was born to do this job, wasn't he? The, the people that he experimented on, I take it they were volunteers. <laughs> well, one would hope so. Yeah. Well, he didn't just do it with his normal patients. Like, uh, oh, Mrs Whittaker, come in. Now there's... Well, OK, I think your asthma's getting better. Now, before you go, there's one other thing. <laughs> oh, I don't know, dear. No, it's an experiment. Mm. Come on, I did it on Mr Whittaker last week when he came in with his shingles. And then the following a... week, she comes back for some reason. Oh, my asthma's fine. I just thought I'd pop mm. in again. <laughs> What's the difference between the G-spot and a golf ball? <laughs> you don't have to shout four before you hit the G-spot with a three-word... <laughs> Most men are quite happy to spend ten minutes looking for a golf ball. Um... You know, one of the happiest days of my life was when I was taken for a flight in an RAF tornado and they made me wear a G-suit. <laughs> it's awfully tight, this. Anyway, if you're confused, there is a map. Jack, on page 10 of Thursday's Guardian. You boys like a map, so that'll be a, a, big, a good way of doing it. What, like an ordinance survey? It is. It is. Can you get sat-nav? <laughs> you have that's... reached your destination. <laughs> oh, yes! At the next available junction, make a U-turn. Where <laughs> was I? Oh, I did have something funny to say about this, but I can't quite seem to put my finger on it. Um... Oh, please, if it had been Simon Hoggart, he'd been up here fumbling around the subject for ages. Now... (laughs) An Italian scientist has claimed to have found the location of the elusive G-spot, a notion dismissed for years as a figment of women's imagination, along with equal pay and the perfect man. Right. (laughs) Mark, who thinks men and women are on different tracks? Oh, I don't know. What, uh, it's Leslie Douglas, It is, it? Who's yes. control of Radio 2 and Six Music. Yeah. Loads of people have been complaining about Six Music. Because... Not loads, because that would suggest loads of people are listening. OK. <laughs> Seven of the eight people who listen to Six Music. They put a bloke called George Lamb in the breakfast. Thing, yeah, no, he was who's crap. crap. And lots of people have said he's crap. And Leslie Douglas says, oh, but only men are saying he's crap because uh, men like music on an intellectual level. 
And women think he's lovely because they like music on an emotional level, which is patronising to both sexes. <laughs> this image of you know, men listen to a piece of music and think, oh, yes, that would be uh, Rory Gallagher using his 1967 Telecaster rather than the usual Stratocaster he favoured. <laughs> and women listen to a piece of music and think, I wonder whether I'd fancy the drummer more than the bass player. <laughs> And apparently, according to Leslie Douglas, that's what happens, and that's why men don't like George Lamb. But I, li- I listened to his show yesterday. He had Tony Benn on as a guest. And for the first time ever, I had to switch the radio off, knowing that Tony Benn was on, because I just couldn't face hearing this guy say to him, So, Tony, why did you give your son a girl's name? <laughs> I think he should take over the show, Tony Benn. You'd listen to that, wouldn't you? Oh, well, this seems to be from Lady Sovereign or some such sort of... <laughs> Rhyme nonsense, I've never heard it myself, but I'm sure that it's a very nice message and it goes all the way back to the levelers and the diggers. And the... <laughs> the BBC's head oh. of pop. <laughs> <laughs> Every penny of your licence fee wisely spent. Um, actually, her official title is Coordinator of the BBC's Popular Music Coverage Across TV and Radio. Anyway, her, Leslie yeah, Douglas. Daddy-o. Yeah, daddy-o. <laughs> uh, she has argued that men respond to music on an intellectual level, whereas women have a more emotional response to music. Leslie Douglas said that men tend to be more interested in the intellectual side, such as where albums have been made. Oh, it's a sorry lookout for the future of academic thought, isn't it? It's a, uh, you know that thing they say about when men have all their albums in alphabetical order, and people yeah. say, oh, well, that's an example of really anal behaviour. Well, I've got a room full of records. I've got them in alphabetical order so that I know which place to go to for the right one, but apparently it means I've got a problem with my arse. <laughs> Whereas I've got all my records in order of whether I fancy the drummer or the bass player. <laughs> I've got all mine on an iPod. Right. Um... You haven't. That's a lie. <laughs> Right, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along, Mr McCauley. It's uh, an obituary for someone called Richard Burton, who has died aged 69. He came to notice as the Duchess of York's employer, but was happier to be remembered for his days as one of the last gentleman racing drivers. A handsome, impeccably dressed boulevardier of the old school, Burton married often and was a fount of knowledge on the art of making love. For example, he insisted that when doing so, on a mountainside, it was important to be facing downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Mr D. Mr Aronofsky sent this in, and I hope this won't fly over your head, so you have to concentrate. Just bear with me. This is the front cover of the Ilford Recorder in November, and it goes like this. Bin Man did poo in our garden. <laughs> straight over my head. (laughs) Mark? This is an announcement. I guess a a leaflet that went up around Liverpool University. From the Liverpool University Christian Union. A chance to find out more about Christianity and find answers for questions you may have. Monday the 18th, what are you living for? (laughs) Tuesday the 19th, born to die... Thursday the 21st, is everything meaningless? (laughs) I wish I was religious. Gary. 
this was sent in by uh, Steve Ricks from Boreham Wood, and it's from the London paper, which has a section where uh, if you saw someone you fancied on the tube, you can write a little note and they might get in touch. This one says, You, the guy throwing up on the northern line at East Finchley on 9th of Feb. Me, the ginger girl whose jeans got in the way. <laughs> Wish I could have told you how the remnants of WKD Blue brought out your eyes. Drink? Take a look at the final score. Mark and Carrie have got 12 points, but this week's winners are Fred and Jack with 13. And before we leave you, here is a cutting from the London paper spotted by Richard Weigold. A married couple who met on a packed commuter train have bought the seats on which they originally sat side by side as a Valentine's Day gift. Jonathan Roberts and his wife Jacqueline sat next to each other on a train from Gillingham to Waterloo and began a romance, which ended with marriage. <laughs> Goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Fred McCauley, Jack D, Mark Steele and Carrie Quinlan. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Peter Donaldson. The chair's script was written by Lucy Clark, Simon Littlefield and Paul Carenza with additional material by James Sherwood and Stephen Carlin. The producer was Ed Morris. Listen again to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4 slash comedy.